Welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. And good evening, and welcome to Blooming Out on WFHB. I'm Jeff Poling. And I'm Ryan Shetty. On tonight's episode, we will have our featured music, along with our LGBTQ plus area calendar. First this evening, though, we have Jean Smith joining us once again to talk about her experience at the Democratic National Convention this past week, uh, among other important topics in transgender issues. Jean, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. All right. You had a big week last week, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was, um, I asked the people at the hotel how they felt about having um, sleep-deprived drunks choosing their national leaders. <laughs> <laughs> and what were the hotel uh, attendance answers? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't say anything, you know, <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, but it, there were a lot of late nights. We would get out at like 11 o'clock at nights, and then there were parties after that, so, and then we had to get it. So we were out till two th- before we got back to the hotel, and then we had to be up at seven thirty for breakfast and get our credentials by nine nine thirty. So, so Blin, uh, or Jean, you're you're referring to that you were one of the Bloomin- Bloomington area delegates in attendance um, during the Democratic National Convention, and I understand there were. Um, what were we thinking about? How many transgender delegates at the convention? Um, I think it was 28, maybe 27. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that, that I was the first and only from Indiana, I believe. And, um, and I felt it was really important. That was one of the things I ran for. I had to appeal to Bernie Sanders' delegates. And the, the district that I represented is District 9, which runs from above Martinsville down to, you know, Clarksville, New Albany, around Louisville area. So it's a pretty large district. There were two women taken from this district. So um, I ran as a progressive um, with a lot of the same ideas that Bernie um, has, but also as a transgender person with the bathroom bills. I thought it was important and people agreed with me. In fact, a lot of Hillary people came up and congratulated me after I was elected and said I really needed to be there. So Now for listeners who may not know, how many delegates from Indiana are there? I think there was 92, but I'm not positive about that. And um, how many, how many different districts are there? Mm, are there? Uh, Maybe nine. Uh, uh-huh. um, I think it is. I think it is nine districts, and and most had um, three or four for each candidate, I believe. Okay. Um, it was you know depending on the vote, but it was a pretty even vote in the state. Um, Bernie won a little bit. You know, by a little bit, but in in, in the, our district, it was they 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 made the decision that the uh, DNC requires all sorts of diversity. Um, first of all, male, female, but then you have to have a certain percentage of um, LGBT. You have to have a certain percentage of Asians. You have to have a certain percentage of blacks. And any state that doesn't meet those criteria doesn't get seated at the delegation. Uh-huh. So before we were ever voted on, it was decided it was um, they went through the whole state and District Nine both had three delegates each for Bernie and Hillary, 
and they said there'd be two men for Hillary and one woman, and for Bernie there would be two women and one man. That was agreed upon by the by each of the two candidates' um, ca- campaigns in Indiana. But then the other diversity requirements kind of magically happened. Um, and part of that, when I say magically, they had other um, things that got selected in ways that I nobody understood. And I questioned Vi Simpson, who was the head of the Indiana delegation. She said she's been to four of these, and she doesn't get it either. So. Oh, I see. But there are things like rules and credentials and various committees like that. So, Gene, you're probably not able to answer this, but what's going through my head is, okay, so if the Democratic National Convention has those stipulations— is there, I wonder what the Republican... <laughs> I, I heard yesterday, and I haven't gotten in and looked at but I heard that there were only like less than 20 blacks in the entire convention. Building? No. <laughs> in, in the entire convention, you know? And, sure. and there were, um, you know, I don't, there weren't any, I don't know if there were any LGBT, probably probably some, no, no transgender um, delegates for sure. I see. Um, there were definitely LGBT delegates. We, we've reported on a few. Right. Um, but, uh, the, the, you know, it, looking at that crowd, it was pretty pretty white. Mm-hmm. So, um, But at least you had, there was the twinks for Trump, right? Right, there was twinks for Trump, and, and uh, we all know how, how that uh, goes over in our mind. <laughs> we don't really, actually. <laughs> but... Um, so, so the other thing that made history, right, that you that you got to see um, was Sarah McBride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That Can, that was sort of a surprise. I think I just heard about that a day or two before before I got there. And um, yeah, so that um, in fact, I was um, the TV cameras focused on me for just a second during that, and I saw you know my friends would go you know had. TiVo or something so they could back it up and take pictures of me, you know, and I'm like, oh, no, because I, I was, I, you couldn't really tell I was crying, but I was. So for those who, who don't know, Sarah McBride, and feel free to, to jump in anytime, 25 years of age, and she made history being the first ever transgender person to speak at a major party's national convention. Is yeah. That, yeah. Does that sound accurate? A, mm-hmm. And she serves on as the national press secretary for the human rights campaign. Right, and she told a story of um, her her husband beca- became husband who was a trans man, and uh, they fell in love working on these campaigns. And, uh, and I believe it was cancer that her her husband had, and he died four days after they um, were married. And she said it, you know, brought the point of. How every day matters. Sure, of course. Going into it, uh, there were a lot of things that the Bernie delegates wanted to change on the platform. Uh, did you get a, a, the vast majority of the things that you wanted to change in the in the platform accomplished while you were there? Well, I, mean, I try. I ran for rules committee. When you when you run for delegate, I mean, basically what how it works. A lot of people like to know about this, but you you run for state convention. And it turned out for um, the district that I live in, they had five, 12 delegates that went to state um, convention and there were 12 candidates. So my friend said, I'm going to vote for you. And I'm like, thank you very much. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I'm going to go. <laughs> so you got to the state convention and then you had to declare which candidates you were running for um, to represent. And you could run as a delegate, a alternate for um, 
in case someone couldn't got sick mm-hmm. someday or didn't show up or whatever reason. You could run for rules committee, credentials, um, or page. I think that's it. And they, to- they advised us to run for all of them. I ran for um, rules because I thought that might be a place where there'd be some serious negotiations going on. Um, and I didn't want to be an alternate. It was a pretty big financial expense. And I thought, if I'm not getting a seat, on the floor, I'm not going. So those were the only two I ran for. And I disappeared by the time it got to be to the state convention, I wasn't on there for rules. And I never was able to figure out how that happened. In fact, I talked to a woman who was on all rules, and I don't even think she was a delegate. So mm-hmm. so there, like I said, Vi Simpson said she didn't understand. I don't understand it. I asked around, and I never could quite figure out what happened. Um, but and the campaigns did have the right to scratch off anybody for elected delegate too, which makes perfect sense. You wouldn't want, you know, somebody for Trump getting in there and being one of your delegates or something like that. So, so at any rate, I made it through that and and got elected. You kind of ran a regular campaign to to be able to be selected by the Bernie delegates. When you um, ran as a transgender woman. Uh, on on the platform, uh, did you think that that one you would have enough support to get on on there, and then um, two, did you think that you would actually have a voice at the at the uh, convention? Um, I think by the state convention, I realized that, you know there's everything that happened as far. Or I, I didn't really answer your question. So if I would have got on a rules committee. Those people went to Orlando, and there were two other meetings weeks before the convention, and that's when those details got hammered out. And um, and so Bernie did. We got a lot of things in there. I mean, I, I'm re- really impressed, and I think a lot of younger people. I think maybe they're getting it now, but I don't think they saw what a victory that was. I think I. I was pretty realistic when I went in. I mean, I, I wasn't one of the people who thought that somehow this was going to magically change when we got to the convention and Bernie was going to be the delegate or the, be the candidate. Um, I was pretty accepting that it was going to go as it went. And when I saw all the things that he got on the platform, I really thought that, uh, you know, wow, that was impressive. I really thought that um, a lot of it got changed based on his candidacy. Right. And going back to the transgender issues, were there any um, specific points in the platform that were added about uh, transgender issues at all? There are, and, and I read them the day I lost my. They gave me a book that had the entire platform in it, and I, and I did look at it the night I got it, and and I was pleased with it. But to be honest, I can't really quote what it said. Um, but it definitely does um, have strong LGBT and. You know, transgender. You noted uh, to us a little bit before we started conversing about um, the fact that while, yeah, there was a transgender representative up on the stage and, and spoke, um, but other people didn't quite get there in, in their speeches. Well, I think what I really want to do is, is pat the Indiana Democrats on the back because um, when I went to the state convention, we, um, we went to dinner the day before. The day before, you didn't have to go to that, but there was a there was a big dinner and and lots and lots of speakers talked to us, and so you had everybody from the governor to every state representative office. Well, probably not everyone, but definitely the people running for federal office and 
and um, that sort of thing. And so there were probably 10 speakers that came into our every caucus we had, every meeting we had, and they would speak to us over and over. And every single one of them said sexual orientation, gender identity. And it just rolled off their – in fact, I can't say it is – you know, sometimes I get twisted around and say it wrong. Sure. And every single one of them said it right the whole two days. And I expected that when I got to the national convention, and I didn't find it. And in fact, I tried to speak to everybody I could who had any authority at the national convention. And it kind of reminded me of being an undergraduate at IU and trying to talk to the professor. You know, it was like they uh-huh. everybody was too big to, to listen to any complaint. And to hear that Indiana has it together and you people really ought to talk to us. And I think I think our Democrats are ahead of the game because of RIFRA. I think that the Democrats here know mm. that this is the issue. And and I really love the saying, you know, that it, it should be a hashtag, and I don't know if it is. I put hashtags in front of it. But, um, but the whole idea of four words and a comma that they came up here with, I think right. that's the reason the Democrats here got it, is because that was their mantra. And, uh, and it's, it's what you have it's it, it is the correct terminology and if uh, i pointed out to you guys that cory booker's speech i thought was historic i thought it was you know a speech that he's being tailored for the future right and you know it um basically chris matthews with the melana trump thing was saying there's five speech writers in the world who write all these speeches at that level and they're contractors they don't work for any campaign mm-hmm. and it became obvious to me that they don't get it that that um, gender identity um, transgender is the new doma that the republicans are using the bathroom sanctity of bathrooms as the new leveraging point to try to keep our rights from for all of us by focusing on this bathroom issue and so gender identity is the term that needs to be used. And Cory Booker's speech, for instance, said, who you love. And that was supposed to okay. cover, and it doesn't. It's who you are. It's not who you love. Right. So. Hmm. The, um, I, I'm curious about just the overall um, welcoming um, atmosphere or environment. Um, even even certain little details, like I I had read that um, that the restrooms at the Democratic convention were all gender restrooms, and I, I saw a picture of them, and and that, and that was just something where you know the 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 comment were said that people were unfazed by by this you know that kind of you know environment that kind of display and everything. Um, did did you, for the most part, get real positive, you know, positive uh, feedback, vibes, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I, th- I think the Democrats, you know, love us, you know. Um, as far as the all-gender bathrooms, you're talking about bathrooms where anybody can use them? Yes. I, I only saw that. Um, I really only saw that in one bathroom at the convention center, and okay. I didn't see that at the Wells Fargo Center at all. Okay. Um, I'm not a big fan of those. I think uh-huh. they're, they're a good place for bigots to go, you know, if they don't want to be around transgender people. But in general, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. I really don't feel that way. I really feel like for anybody who's not comfortable sharing bathrooms with other people, mm-hmm. I think they're fine. 
but I don't want to be othered and told that I have to go into a bathroom that's labeled, you know, I don't have to want to have to walk up three floors when there right. are bathrooms, you know, so. Because um, it's I, a special bath. Yeah, yeah, I've never had an issue. I think I've talked to you about that before. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, and, and I just, I mean, I just think we, you know, in general, every time we came up as a topic, the, the applause was great. And I think everybody realizes that you know they're with us you know i mean it's an issue and yeah i mean it's it's acceptance well we're we're going to talk more about this and and some other things with gene smith here and we're going to take a short break in in the meantime we'll get back with this conversation um the music break for this evening um is about our featured artist um and throughout the evening, we're going to, uh, you're going to be hearing different uh, songs from tonight's featured musician, Tom Goss. He's an American singer, songwriter, and actor. Goss is uh, self-released five studio albums, one live album, two extended plays, and a multiple non-album singles. He's seen success with his music featured on Logo TV. He won Best Gay Musician in D.C. from the Washington Blade. Uh, he dropped his r- latest release um, on Tuesday, and, and the release is entitled What Doesn't Break. But this first song tonight was performed live on The Circus Life, a weekly podcast, live from the world-renowned Q Recording Studios in Falls Church, Virginia. And in August 2015, Goss recorded the song featuring Matt Alb- Alber on vocals. Uh, if you have a chance, check out the beautiful video on YouTube. Here is Tom Goss featuring Matt Alber with Breath and Sound. It's the same crocs You think I'd have learned enough To let my heart go Yet let my heart go But it is safest If I try deny this Then watch it unfold Then to watch it unfold But I know enough I'm longing for your touch And I think, oh, just a little bit of breath and sound Just a little bit of reaching out Just a little bit to find what I'm seeking And oh, one first touch my heart will do the rest Otherwise I'll never find the strength Winter time and never felt so cold In the morning I won't say that I'm not scared It's just that you're holding My fears at bay Now I know your touch Once is not enough And I think, oh, just a little bit of breath and sound Just a little bit of reaching out 
Just a little bit to find what I'm seeking and all One first touch, my heart will do the rest Otherwise I'll never find the strength Winter time and never felt so cold But with you by my side We're on the way to getting right All of the things we've left behind Take your time Time Just a little bit of breath and sound Just a little bit of reaching out Just a little bit to find what I'm seeking and all One first touch, my heart will do the rest Otherwise I'll never find the strength Winter time and never felt so cold No, just a little bit of breath and sound Just a little bit of reaching out Just a little you to set me free We can, sorry about that. You just listened to our featured musician, Tom Goss, with Breath and Sound. We're back here on Blooming Out this evening with Gene Smith, who recently returned from the Democratic National Convention and was a delegate from Indiana for Bernie Sanders Gene, we're, we're going to continue on with what we were talking about in, in, uh, before we took our break. Um, so back to the bathroom issue. Uh, recently, the, the courts have, have started uh, issuing opinions on, on uh, gender-neutral bathrooms and, being, and um, transgender people being able to use certain restrooms as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on these issues? Well, I think it's being done. Um, there's an American Family Association, I believe, down in Florida that was led by the attorney who was Kim, what's the uh-huh. clerk's name down, um, down in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, he, he defended her. He was up there on the stage with her. And he mm-hmm. basically, I, co- I consider it to be a think tank, that they, it's a conservative think tank, and they sure. they're looking in for an issue that um, is a wedge to keep, um, to, to replace the, um, the Defense of Marriage Act that they no longer have anymore. And, and what they found in Houston last fall was that bathrooms are something you can get people really riled up with. And so they're the ones writing all these laws, and they've got a state. They're doing it at a state level um, for some reason. I tend to think it's because it, Obama could have vetoed anything they would have done at a federal level, so right. they've gone to states um, with these bills. But um, well, that's the that's the kind of the the direction that they're they're attacking from now. Right. They they figure if right. they they can't do anything on the federal level, then they're going to whittle away at all the the various states, um, and that's why they want to give the power to the states. I it's so obvious, yeah. So that they're chosen states will you know try to legislate right and we saw today the supreme court held a decision by a lower court 
um, about a transgender boy. I can't remember in what state. And I, I Vir- actually think we have a story about this later on. This Virginia, season, I believe. Virginia, yeah. mm-hmm. um, where uh, they are going to, I think, kind of do the same thing they did with um, same-sex marriage mm-hmm. and hear all of the cases together. But until then, unfortunately, it's alienating transgender folks. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 what I got, took from it is that they were leaving the status quo in place and saying that they weren't, which wasn't what the court ruled. So in some ways, it, it you know, it, it did overrule the, the lower court because the lower court stood with Obama's administration saying that it was Title IX and, and that um, transgender, and this is a student who would have access to, to the locker rooms and bathrooms and stuff. And so they said that they, they weren't making a decision. They were just saying that they were not going to change the status quo um, until it became, until it was heard. Right. And, of course, it was, it was a, uh, how many justices? Five, five, three decisions. It should have been a, you know, it should. <laughs> we all know that with one more liberal justice on there, uh, replacing Scalia, it would have been a 5-4 decision. But, uh, unfortunately, it would have went against what everybody wanted it to be anyway. Uh, well, at least on our side of the issue, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, yeah, you're probably right. I haven't thought about that one as much, but that is mm-hmm. kind of scary. So, so Gene, we were talking about um, obviously for during the Democratic convention, um, some of the most in- incredible speeches um, that I've ever witnessed. I mean, I I wasn't there. I can only imagine what it was like to to see and hear these people. Um, you know, we were talking about the the Ad- Ad- Obama administration and how much they've done in the movement, you know, for trans people, for the rights of of trans people. Um, I I guess I I don't really know if I have a question in in that, but but I'd like for you to comment just about how you feel that the Obama administration, just maybe some examples, have moved things forward. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and, and you know, and it's a little bit worrisome about how they, you know, these were done. I mean, they were, I think a lot of them were done by the force of the presidency. And, and, and I guess, you know, I mean, I, get a, I, I feel good about Hillary Clinton, um, that she will probably continue everything he's put in place. Um, I don't feel good about anybody that has a Pence uh, or Trump <laughs> associated with them, and um, but I'm getting more hopeful that that's not going to be something we have to worry about. Um, but that is a hope, you know. I mean, it, it, um, sure. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's incredible. I mean, we, I, there's so many things changed. Um, e- even um, before we had the Affordable Care Act, the IRS put out a notice saying that transgender care, I mean, that had an effect on my medical expenses. I, I don't actually do Schedule A, but I mean, it's deductible, all transgender expenses for health care before the Affordable Care Act, the Affordable Care Act. Before that, I was declined for insurance by Humana as soon as I said I was transgender. That, that no longer is an issue. Um, uh, many states are now paying for all sorts of transgender care, not all, i.e. I. Indiana. Um, 
But um, I don't have to hide from my insurance companies anymore. Um, they have to accept me. Um, federal jobs um, have no have not been able to be discriminated against for a long time for contracts and that that sort of thing. Um, you can probably help me with others. Right. I mean, it's just so many things that have happened. Well, um, one thing that I I I, I don't know if. Um, a lot of people need to be reminded of. I actually had to be reminded of it when I was when I was um, doing some reading recently. Was um, Secretary Clinton State Department's 2010 um, what what they did at at the time was um, they began allowing transgender people to change their passport exactly, gender markers exactly. right with a yep. physician's certificate that they'd received appropriate clinical treatment for gender transition. Right. And without that, you know, a lot of people say that we wouldn't be where we are today. Yeah, I, um, I remember on that one, basically they, they realized that I think it's about 80% of, of transgender people don't have sexual reassignment surgery either because of cost, because of the quality of the operation mm-hmm. um, for um, ver- various reasons, and they decided that it was more important that TSA be able to, you know, that you are represent that your ID represents how you present, mm-hmm. um, and not so much. Um, it, th- that's an interesting point, though. One one thing there was one delegate from San Francisco who came in to uh, Dulles, Washington D.C. this time. TSA put her through screening as a female. And she was pretty graphic about how they touched her. I mean, she described it in in no uncertain terms that they 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 knew what was in because they they have some term for it if you if your genitals don't match male or female. Mm-hmm. And then they made her go into another room and take off her clothes, which their rules say they won't do that. So she said there was a sheer curtain between her and them, and they made her stand there. For quite a while, which is outrageous. I've, right. I've never had the first problem. I mean, even when I, my ID still said male and I presented female and I'm six foot four and, and people, you know, sometimes the TSA agents would be looking down at my ID and kind of look up at me, but I never had any problem, which, you know, I hope, you know, there's going to be some hedge roll over that because that was outrageous. Right. On top of that, Gene, uh, you made a good point and kind of something that I want to know is um, uh, since it's so unaffordable to do gender reassignment surgery, are there countries that you know of that um, afford their citizens that right if uh, if they would like to undergo that surgery? Uh, one of them is called New York. Okay. <laughs> the mm-hmm. state of New York. The I mean, there, there's a York. number of states now. I can't I can't list all of them, but I, I think New York was the first one that Como. Okay. Um, you know, made the ruling that it, it's going to be covered under the Affordable Care Act, you know. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes when I hear people online, you know, I can't afford to do this. It's like, why don't you move? You know, it's not that mm. big a deal, you know. Sure. Um, so. Hopefully that, that expands throughout the nation eventually. Right. Uh, and, and becomes a rule. And uh, on top of that, you want to see um, the Affordable Care Act expanded upon and then not leave anybody out for whatever reason. Right. 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 Now, so going back to the, the DNC 
Um, we were talking earlier about the caucuses. Do you yeah. want to? Yeah, I mean, if, if people are really into the, the, the inc- I mean, you saw everything I saw. I mean, you could watch it on TV and you could sure. even get up and get a juice or something. So you, <laughs> might not have, you might not, it might not be as much of a blur for you as it was for me. But, um, but, the, but the caucuses you don't see, and they were really, really amazing because um, I, I, I think there were probably 200 people in the room. I mean, there were 700 LBGT people there, so I hate to say that it wasn't um, three or 400 people, but I don't think it was. Um, might have been 300, but it, um, but it seemed fairly small room. And I, I wrote down a list of them, and you can make me shut up um, if I if it goes on too long. But just you know, and and but some of the names, um, Cory Booker spoke. Um, Mike, Senator Mike Honda, um, Raymond Buckley, um, Governor Maggie Hassan, uh, Governor Mary Como, Mario Como, Senator Tammy Baldwin, Barney Frank, Governor Kate Brown, um, Howard Dean, Maura Healy, Dustin Lance Black, Stuart um, Applebaum, Misty Snow, 28 of us delegates, uh, transgender delegates got on the stage a couple times. Um, Brian Sims, Adam Eben, Maura Healy, um, Chris Sugo, um, Nadine Smith, Annis Parker, um, more and more. But I mean, these people, if you don't know who they are, you know, they're, they're elected legislators in the state, um, attorney generals, um, governors. Um, it was just, it was just amazing. You know, I mean, you see those people on the big stage in those big arenas and it's like, you know, you kind of expect that. But when you're in a room of 200 people and you see these people come in, you know, and um, I mentioned earlier Cory Booker, you know, giving his speech that I didn't feel he wrote. And I'm not saying he didn't believe them and that sort of thing. I just think at that level. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because he came in and they announced that he was going to be taking the stage in this little caucus meeting. He was already in the room. The the person didn't realize that he was there. And he started to go up on the stage. No, no, you have to, you know, we got the order here, you know. So he had to sit through three other, you know, groups of people. Mm -hmm. And the one before he came on was a group of trans people. And I saw this look on his face, because like I said, I mentioned in his speech, it didn't mention trans. And I almost felt like, what's he, is he not familiar with trans people? He just had this really odd look on his face. And then it, he, he walked up on stage before he was introduced, and he's still tan- standing behind these trans people as they were doing this presentation and stuff. And he had he just had this odd, odd look on his face. I'm like, what is he thinking? The, the things and you then, don't. But when he came yeah. out, but when he started his speech, it was like a preacher backwards. He just came blasting out. It, he was psyching himself up. It didn't. Uh, it was just like it was the most forceful. And and I was live streaming on on. Um, Facebook, but that day I had two little batteries and I was trying to say, and I really, I missed that first part of it. I have the second part of his speech on there, but it was, but it was just interesting. It was just like an athlete who's getting ready to high jump or something, you know, it was just, you could just see him winding himself up for the explosive pitch. We're running, we're getting close on time here, Gene, but something that I want to ask. (laughs) Okay. And it's, uh, one of those, I have to know questions, uh, we all see, saw the memes of Bill Clinton uh, in the balloons and Hillary in the balloons. How was the balloon drop? We were far enough back that we <laughs> even the even the uh, ticker. What is that? The tip, it's not ticker tape, but whatever you call that, the the confetti yeah. didn't. It, we got a few of those. I mean, it was beautiful. We got to see it, 
But I kept thinking, kick one of those big balls up here. And one of them sort of got close to us once, but we weren't. We were we were pretty low down. But why we was not, the Indiana delegation so far away? <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I mean, actually, you know, we were. I don't know. We were just on the halfway up the first set of risers, so we weren't on the floor. But yeah, we because we voted for Bernie. You right. Know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. What was your most memorable aspect of of um, the convention? Hmm. Stuff. Hmm. Boy, I it's I I I don't know. I mean, I loved uh, Michelle Obama's speech. I liked Bill's speech. Um, I I like Cory Booker's. Um, uh, you know, so I guess I mean, there's a lot of the speeches. I mean, I. And then I got interviewed by a lot of people, too, and that was interesting. I actually got invited to be on Conan, and I had to decide on whether I was going to the LGBT um, caucus or be on the Conan show. And I kind of thought, why did they pick me? You know, And they, they told me what they were going to ask me. They were going to say, what do you like about Hillary? And then they were going to give me a line like, she has all of her teeth or she's not killed any emperors. And I actually saw the skit. I mean, those were the lines. Oh, wow. And I just thought— you know, that's not what I came here for. I came <laughs> to be respected and respectable and to be, you know, and so I was really glad I made that choice, even though my ego, it would have been fun to be on Conan. But it would have been well, fun. Well, Gene, I know you're well-respected in our community, and I con- congratulations on such a fantastic opportunity, and I'm sure you, you made um, the Hoosiers very proud. Yeah, well, thank you. We have so much more to talk about with you. We can't have enough of you on the show, I don't think. Right. Uh, thanks for joining us again, Gene. Thank you. That's all the time we have for our discussion this evening. Uh, we continue our selection, music selections this evening from our featured artist, Tom Goss. Goss started his career as a senior songwriter in Washington, D.C. coffee houses in the early 2000s. In 2006, Goss released his first album, Naked Without. In 2008, Goss released his extended play, Rise, and in 2009, he released his second full album, Back to Love, complete with 11 original songs. The album also features one of his most popular singles, Lover. The accompanying video to this song tells the story of an American soldier killed in Afghanistan while his husband waits at home. It stars servicemen who who were discharged under the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy. Lover was put into heavy rotation on Logo TV and garnered over 100,000 hits on YouTube and over 1.5 million hits on Yuku. I know that sounded like YouTube, but it's Yuku. Yuku. Back to Love received critical acclaim with On Tap Magazine hailing it a heartfelt winner. His newfound success propelled him into his first nationwide tour. Many of Goss's songs and music videos speak to LGBT issues, such as marriage equality, don't ask, don't tell, and in this 2013 song, the gay subculture of bears. Here's Tom Goss with Bears. Why, Tom Goss, how are you, baby? Not so good. Nance and I broke up. What happened? Just didn't find him attractive. What? Honey, he was cute. But don't you worry, girl. Banaka's got plenty of hot guys in her collection. I'll hook you up. Some people think they got it right. They tell me just what I will like. A tight waist, a smooth face, daily exfoliates. But they don't know me. No, 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 no. 
Support for WFHB and Blooming Out comes from the back door of downtown Bloomington's Queer's Bar, Dance Club, and Venue. From live bands and DJs to drag shows and karaoke, there is something for everyone every day of the week. Uh, the back door is located at 207 South College in the alley behind Atlas Bar. More information can be found on Facebook or online at bckdoor.com. And you're listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. Now we will get to this week's LGBTQ news and from out.com hillary pledges an aids-free generation with plans to back hiv prevention drugs the hillary clinton campaign launched a comprehensive plan to tackle hiv aids on its website recently laying the groundwork for extensive backing of truvada in all of its forms as well as other strategies to help create the first aids-free generation since the epidemic began over 30 years ago Specifically, Clinton is pledging to tackle transmissions among at-risk minority groups with special attention paid to gay black men, transgender individuals, black women, and injection drug users. Clinton, who is no stranger to the fight against AIDS as both First Lady and Senator of New York, 
calls for the dramatic expansion of the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief as part of her new platform, which includes more widespread education about and access to pre-exposure prophylaxis prep. The plan reads, Clinton will increase the CDC's investment to ensure populations at great risk of infection at greatest risks of infection, have access to preventative medicines. To date, Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump has not released any specific action plan on HIV-AIDS at all. Comparatively, and in spite of a few discrepancies, Clinton has shown incredible forethought throughout her career when it comes to the fight against HIV-AIDS. Well, you know, with the Olympics coming up, I just have to play this for a second. There it is. As you know, it is the eve of the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games in Brazil. The Human Rights Campaign has an update about LGBTQ equality in the country. Every year, millions of people who participate in pride parades in Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro, Brazil's sexual... Uh, and gender diversity is reflected in these and other prides in the country, and revelers celebrate notable victories, including marriage equality. However, Brazil remains plagued by homophobia and transphobia. According to Grupo Gay de Bahia, an LGBTQ civil rights organization in Brazil, the country has the highest levels of reported violence against the LGBTQ community in the world. The Brazilian government has enacted many laws protecting minority communities, including LGBTQ people. In 2013, Brazil approved marriage equality. It was also among the first countries in the region to allow same-sex couples to jointly adopt children. These victories, however, are a result of actions taken by the executive and judicial branches of the government. The Brazilian National Congress has been passive and sometimes even hostile towards LGBTQ equality. While progress is being made despite the country's conservative and macho culture, the gains have not tamped down an epidemic of violence targeting LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community. On average, an LGBTQ person is killed every day in Brazil, according to Grupo de Bahia, Gay de Bahia. Transgender women and other gender nonconforming people are disproportionately affected by anti-LGBTQ violence. Brazil's National Congress has often blocked legislation to protect these vulnerable groups. However, cities including Rio de Janeiro have bypassed the national legislator in acting their own ordinances prohibiting discrimination and providing equal access to government services to the LGBTQ community. As the world tunes into the 2016 Olympics in Rio uh, tomorrow, HRC commends the city for, for its non-discrimination ordinance passed in 2000. Travelers heading to Rio are encouraged to review the State Department's travel advisory for the Olympics and remain vigilant about the potential for violence both in the general in general and targeting the LGBTQ community. Theadvocate.com brings us an article about Pope Francis' recent denouncement of the concept of gender choice. Pope Francis is getting criticism for speaking out against the idea that gender can be chosen. Today, in schools, they're teaching this to children, to children, that everyone can choose their gender, the Pope said in a meeting with Catholic bishops in Poland last week. The Associated Press reports the Vatican released a transcript of his remarks today. 
He quoted his predecessor, Pope Benedict, um, who retired in 2013, but still lives at the Vatican. Speaking with Pope Benedict, who is well and has a clear mind, he was telling me, holiness, this is the the epoch of sin against God the creator. He's intelligent. God created man and woman. God created the world this way, this way, this way, and we are doing the opposite. Pope Francis has previously denounced the idea of gender um, mutability, saying that gender theory does not recognize the order of creation and calling for valuing one's own body in its femininity or masculinity as it's, it is not a healthy attitude which would seek to cancel out sexual difference. Yet Francis met in 2015 with a Spanish transgender man who said he found the Pope's kindness personified. Most gender people would likely say their gender isn't chosen, that they know they are innately male or female, even if their body leads others to perceive them as the other gender. Some, of course, do not identify with a binary gender. However, many in the non-trans world, including the Pope, would probably say that undergoing hormone therapy or gender-affirming surgery or simply living as a gender, different gender than the one assigned at birth amounts to choosing gender. Criticism of the Pope came from Kelsey Louie, CEO of Gay Men's Health Crisis, who said he was saddened and disturbed by the remarks. In an emailed statement, Louie continued, Our children deserve to know that, of course, they have the right to choose, and GMHC applauds all schools that teach students not to oppress who they are, but instead live the life as the gender they most identify with. He noted that, in light of the mass shooting at Pulse LGBT nightclub in Orlando, what we need now is for our world leaders to spread messages of tolerance and acceptance. In a more progressive move, Pope Francis today announced the appointment of a 13-member commission to study the possibility of women serving as deacons, a rank one step below priest um, reports. Women cannot currently hold any clergy rank in the Roman Catholic Church. Some advocates of an expanded role for women say there were female deacons in the early Christian church. Francis, like his predecessors, has opposed the idea of women priests, but in May he promised members of women's religious orders that he would study the matter of female deacons. He did not set dates for the commission to begin or finish its work. Finally this evening, an article from Quartz about Vice President Biden officiating a same-sex union at his house. When White House staffers Joe Mash... Oh, wow, I'm going to screw that one out. Mashi. And Brian Musteller tied the knot. Yes, on August 1st, U.S. Vice President Joe Biden officiated at their request. The small wedding ceremony took place in the vice presidential residence at the U.S. Naval Observatory, and Biden tweeted about the event. It was the first time Biden has officiated a wedding, a White House statement said. He got a temporary certificate from the District of Columbia to perform it. While some of his right-wing opponents will no doubt object, Biden's enthusiastic support for the wedding and marriage equality in general comes as no surprise. Indeed, while Biden has a long list of achievements from his decades in public office, some now believe that one of his chief legacies will be having persuaded Barack Obama to take a political risk by publicly supporting marriage equality before the 2012 presidential election. Obama became the first sitting U.S. president to ever do so in May 2012, shortly after Biden did the same, and the two won the election six months later. 
Obama believed in marriage equality during his first presidential campaign, but he claimed he opposed it for political reasons. His former political strategist, David Axelrod, wrote in a 2015 memoir, Obama would later say his view had evolved. Regardless, his show of support in an election year at the encouragement of Biden helped put the issue of marriage equality in the national limelight. That was this week's LGBT News. Now it's time for our final song with tonight's featured music artist, Tom Goss. In 2014, Goss contributed three songs to the soundtrack of the gay-themed murder mystery, Out to Kill. Goss then released his fifth album, Wait. He also collaborated with singer-songwriter and longtime friend Matt Elber. The first single off of Wait was Illuminate the Dark. The video to the song features wounded war vet turned model Alex Minsky. The video was deemed incredible by the Huffington Post. In March of this year, Goss released Son of a Preacher Man, which features a teenage gay couple who falls in love in their Christian church. Goss sings the Dusty Springfield cover as the backdrop for a Romeo and Juliet-style love story between the two. The teens fall for each other despite their church's minister preaching against homosexuality and their own family's violent disapproval. The community's negative reactions pushes one teen to contemplate suicide, but instead the video takes an uplifting turn as he makes the decision to rescue his boyfriend from the church instead. The couple run away together and are finally happy putting a positive spin on a frequently dismal situation. Goss encourages donations to both The Trevor Project and PFLAG in links which are included in the video. So many people are hurt in the name of love. Here's to another way, reads the video's caption. Here's Tom Goss with Son of a Preacher Man. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It talks about the things that prevent people from entering the kingdom of God. It talks about all kinds of immoral behavior. But right in the midst of that passage, right in the middle of that verse, it says, and those who are homosexual. That's not ambiguous. Let me be perfectly clear. You cannot abide the gospel and be okay with homosexuality. You cannot have faith in God and be okay with homosexuality. You cannot call yourself a Christian and be okay with homosexuality. But this is about love. It would be unloving not to tell someone when salvation is at stake. We must tell the homosexuals the very same thing that I would say to you and you would say to me. It is possible to change. With God, all things are possible. And when his daddy would visit, he'd come along And when they started talking That's when Billy would take me walking Out the back door we'd go walking Then he'd look into my eyes Lord knows it was my surprise The only one who could ever reach me 
was the son of a preacher man The only one who could ever teach me Was the son of a preacher man Yes he was, yes he was, yes he was Being good isn't always easy No matter how hard I try When he starts sweet talking to me Kiss and tell me everything is alright Kiss and tell me everything is alright Can I get away tonight? The only one who could ever reach me Was the son of a preacher man The only boy who could ever teach me Was the son of a preacher man Yes he was, yes he was, yes he Stealing kisses from me on the sly Taking time to make time Telling me he's all mine Learning from each other's knowing Look at it here how much we're growing listening to our featured artist Tom Goss here on WFHB. Uh, that was Son of a Preacher Man. Now it's time for our, uh, for our LGBTQ plus area event calendar. The Indy 11 soccer team has teamed up with the Indy Fringe for Pride Night with Indy 11. The event is part of Indy 11 Professional Soccer's Community Give Back Program, an extension of their mission to give back to the community at large. Pride Night is August 6th and features Indy 11 versus the Ottawa Fury FC. Tailgating starts at 6 p.m. Game is at 7.30 p.m. It is at IUPUI's Carroll Stadium. Uh, parking is $10 in the IUPUI parking lots. Grab your tickets for the August 6th Pride Night game and give back at giveback.indy11.com and use the following promo code FRINGE, F-R-I-N-G-E. A portion of your purchase will be donated to Indy Fringe and Indy Pride. And this is the final week to register for this year's Summerfest as a vendor. Summerfest is Bloomington's largest LBG, LGBTQA plus event with live performances, educational workshops, food, drinks, interactive activities for all ages. Register by August 8th. You can find more information on Bloomington 
Pride's Facebook page. Mark your calendars as the GLBT Student Support Services Office is beginning to gear up for the fall semester at IU. From 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on August 19th, free confidential HIV testing will be offered. On August 18th, the office will participate in Culture Fest, and on August 19th, the annual Black Party. More information about these events will be forthcoming in the following weeks. We would like to thank you so much for tuning in tonight. If you're interested in volunteering here at WFHB or for our show, contact volunteer at WFHB.org. If you'd like to add your event to our event calendar, please email us at bloomingout at WFHB.org. You can also call us at 812-323-1200, tweet us at Blooming Out WFHB, visit our Blooming Out Facebook page, or find us on Instagram. The executive producer at Blooming Out is Joe Crawford. The producer is Ryan Shaddy. Board engineer is Sarah Hetrick. For Blooming Out and Jeff Pulling, I'm Ryan Shaddy. Tune in again next week at 6 p.m. or listen to us online at bloomingout.com. Thank you for joining us on Blooming Out. Be sure to find us online for past episodes, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and more at bloomingout.com. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. for Blooming Out on WFHB.